0: Out with the old. Out with the old. I wanted to begin this brief message. I sound like a television announcer, that's awful. I'd like to begin this brief message. Asking you a question. What do you want to leave behind in 2018? Anybody, anybody want to answer that? Maybe a couple folks? What do you want to leave behind in twenty eighteen? Watch out, Peter, I'm gonna run you down. What do you want to leave behind in twenty eighteen? T- a fear of taking on the new. Ooh. That's deep. <laughs> Anybody else wanna wanna offer up something they want to leave behind in twenty eighteen? Sorrow. Okay. Sorrow, I got that one. We're not going to go political right now. We're going to stay spiritual here. Anybody else? What would you like to leave behind in 2018? Hmm? Intolerance. Intolerance. So the flip side of that, what do you want to bring into this new year? Joy. I hear several people like joy, compassion. fun, compassion, energy. growth, and energy, energy. Curiosity. 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 Look at how easy it is for you to tap into what you want to bring into 2019. That's awesome. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. It's so easy for us to look at this past year and say, ugh. I was reading something in the Washington Post. It was the Year in Review. I think his name is David Barry. He does a Year in the Review every year. And it's actually hysterical. I will tell you, you need to, to check it out. But um, it made me think about this service and starting off by asking you, what do you want to let go of? And, what do you want to bring into the new year? Because I was reading his article, and I realized, oh my gosh, there's so much. It's funny, but is it really negative? But you all don't sound negative at all. And that is inspiring to me. So for me personally, I really want to let go of the amount of loss I experienced this year. And I know many people out here are with me on that personal, deep, sometimes sudden loss. But what I want to carry with me forward into 2019 that's related directly to that loss is what I have learned about mourning and grief that actually in this kind of bizarre way is a reflection of joy. It's a reflection of the beauty of those relationships that I I will no, no longer have. But the way I choose to grieve can add such a beautiful and spectacular nuance to the losses of 2018. So I'm finding a way to frame my movement into 2019 that's coming from some really terrible stuff in a positive, and not silly Pollyanna kind of way, but a really profound way. I'm using those experiences to move forward in a positive light. As we were reminded, thank you, Rob Moyer. Uh, The phrase, old lang syne, it roughly translates in a couple of different ways, and the one I'm going to stick with is For Old Times' Sake. How interesting that we sing this song at New Year's. Thank you, Guy Lombardo. don't know if you all realize that it's his fault that we sing that song. It actually has nothing to do with anything other than Guy Lombardo performing it on the radio and I think, it was 1925 or something like that. But we're stuck with it, and it works. For old times' sake. But as I have just said, there are some things that we don't want to hold on to for old times' sake. What we actually need to invest in, what I believe, I'm sort of dictating to you this morning, sorry about that, is applying some real intention to what we leave behind and what we hold on to. And I'm finding that the balance between the two is something that we can't regard casually when lives are at stake. I will go political for just a moment. It's Unitarian Universalist congregation. How can I not? So in a few days, we get a brand new Congress. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering if they're considering this same idea of what you leave behind and what you take forward and the intention you can apply to that. Leaving behind inaction and bringing forward enthusiasm and a radical mission of truth. Wouldn't that be spectacular? if instead of just answering to people who are high donors, our politicians got together and thought, okay, this is what we did really wrong. This hurt a lot of people. We can learn from that and we can move forward in this way. I want to tell you, reflect on a couple of things that are examples of what happens when you don't bring intention to what one leaves behind and what one brings forward. I'll start by (laughs) mentioning a little tidbit of history that I got from a, a, a colleague yesterday that Josiah T. Walls, one of the first African Americans elected to Congress, was born on December 30th. It's his birthday. Congratulations, Jos- Josiah. Josiah T. Wall served in Congress representing Florida. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> think, of, think of the irony of this. So, the, the, you know, the, the, one of the first black congressmen is from the state of Florida in 1872. Uh, 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 he served in the 42nd, the 43rd, and the 44th Congress. And one of the reasons it, he resonated so deeply with me is that he was based out of Alachua County, Gainesville, Florida, where I lived for a time. Oddly enough, you may not have known that, but I lived in Gainesville, Florida. It's complicated for me to consider his history, his legacy, when Alachua County and Central Florida also contains one of the most horrific experiences of African American history. And that is the Rosewood Massacre that happened on January 1st, 1923. The Klan from Gainesville got wind of the possible assault of a white woman by a black man in the village of Rose- Rosewood, just down the road. They decided to take things in, matters into their own hands and lynched a man and started a riot burned down the town, and it is believed that up to 150 people were killed. Now, Many of you may not know this story and that's my point. What happens when we leave things behind without intention? Interestingly enough, the Rosewood case cropped up again in the early 1990s And there was actually the Rosewood compensation bill of 1994 that allocated, I think it was 2.9 million dollars to the descendants of the Rosewood community. It is one of the very, very few acts of reparations for African Americans to actually happen in this country. I think to myself, wouldn't it be spectacular if that were a story that more people knew? If there was more intention to how people remember the story and the the, the whole trajectory of Rosewood? Yes, tragedy. But then reparations happening. All coming from the same place where there was this first glimmer of hope in a black congressman in the 19th century. What an arc! What an incredible arc, if you're aware of it, but if you don't know, how are you going to celebrate it? How are you going to learn from, from these gems, these jewels of knowledge? Leaving Florida for a second, I want to offer you a quote. I feel that in defending integration and the togetherness of blacks and whites, my actions may get me in good with the conservative whites, but I may have lost the young radicals. I don't know, but I worry about it and wonder what the future will bring. Those are the words of Reverend Ralph Helverson, minister of this church. He was in a complicated position. And this may bring up history that some of you know and some of that you don't know. And it's about this space, where we sit right now. Ralph Helverson, as minister of this church, was a dedicated integrationist. And I say that without judgment, but I say that understanding that at the time that he was an integrationist through the late 1950s, early 60s, through the 60s, into the early 70s, he was also in a time when the Unitarian Universalist Association was trying to figure out how to embrace black power. And the people who were leading the movement for black empowerment were saying, you know what, before we get to integration, let's recognize black people as human. Let's find black power. And so it became this battle between the black empowerment camp and the integration camp. And this church, in its most noble and dedicated way, really believed in the integration, supported Ralph Helverson, but also found itself alienating many of the black power folks along the way. Mark Morrison-Reed writes about this at length in his book, Revisiting the Empowerment Controversy, and I won't go into all the details of it. Some of you lived this. But it is history that lives literally in me standing here right now. And I could waltz around and just, you know, get my robe out and be all, like, I'm a minister. But I remind myself every time I stand before you, every time I stand in that pulpit, that there were ministers of this church who, though they believed in equality in their hearts, though they believed in racial diversity in their hearts would not have fought the fight the way I would have fought it then and fight it today we would have disagreed but I carry that with me forward I don't turn away from that I don't ignore it I bring intention to the way I inhabit this role. I bring intention to what I do. Another quick snippet of a story. Not quite a story, but an invitation really. On January 13th, members of our building team are going to invite you to be engaged in a visioning project for the building of this church, for revisioning the Massachusetts Avenue entrance of this church as an accessible, rejuvenated, restored, renewed, welcoming entrance to our beautiful old historic building. Restoring the building is not just a return to the past. We're not trying to go back to 1833. That is not the goal. Although, it may include elements of the original architecture. It's an opportunity, us working with the building this way is an opportunity for us to look at the structure. This is all metaphorical now. Look at the structure of what we've got understand it in a historical context, and move forward. That is our opportunity. We can physically do this with our building. How spectacular. You've got a minister who wants to do that with his ministry, look at the past, carry it forward, and launch into something new, and you've got a building that you can do that with inviting new friends, new places, new people, new experiences into through a portal that says, yes, this building was constructed in 1833. It comes with a lot of history and a deep connection to Harvard, but it is looking forward, not just to 2019, but to 2020, 2021, 2022, 2100. That is what I mean by bringing intention to what we do. So I would like to offer you some things to consider. You can take them or leave them. But they are guides that I use to try, at least, to live my life well, and that is by living intentionally. Consider what is serving you well. It's okay to say, hey, this works. Yeah, I'm doing this, this this is working. Consider your mission or your goals for the future. Where do you want to go? Where do you believe you can go? Visioning exercises, personal visioning exercises, do not limit yourself, dream. But then, to find a way to respect what has come before with a certain amount of detachment. Respect your history, respect that there might be pain in your past, respect that there might be conflicts, conflicts of interest. But respect it, nonetheless. Honor the work of your ancestors, honor what they gave, what they gave to you, what they gave to this earth, and hold history accountable, not just for the failures, but also for the successes. May you all bring loving intention to the lived experience of tomorrow, bringing with you the best of what comes from your blessed past. May it be so.